and... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. Hello, sure and now quiet. with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The year was 1607, my friend, 1607. And history records that... Captain Christopher Newport sailed up the James River, the birth river of America, from which this broadcast is emanating today. And when he got to the place of the falls, which is called Richmond, he planted a cross. Virginia's Dabney, in his history of the city of Richmond, Virginia, the birthplace of the nation, said on page one that after they planted the cross, they had a great prayer meeting and gave a great shout. That was the beginning. That was the beginning of America, 1607, not 1619. But that wasn't the political beginning. You might say in one respect that that was the spiritual beginning. In 1619, at the very same place, slavery was introduced to America 13 years later. But at the same year, the first representative government in America occurred just a few miles to the east, in Jamestown, Virginia. So this program airs from the very birthplace of the nation. Why is it that black America chooses to look at the slavery aspect of 1619 rather than the freedom aspect of 1619 with the first representative government in America? Why is it that black America today, through its activists, wants to look at slavery in 1619 rather than the cross of the covenant for deliverance and forgiveness in 1607? That's a conundrum that we need to take a look at here today on Viewpoint, and we're going to do that. But it was a number of years later, in fact, the year was 1776, that another Declaration of Freedom was made. We call it the Declaration of Independence. In one respect, it was the Declaration of Dependence upon God. Unfortunately, even today, believe it or not, among many in black America, some of the loudest voices in black America today, they choose to look at the Slavery Declaration of 1619 rather than the Freedom Declaration of 1776. Why? Why those choices? And do they have import and significance for the future of America? Our program today is very special. We have a very special guest joining us, Robert Woodson, a.k.a. Bob Woodson. Uh, He is the editor of a book called Red, White, and Black, as opposed to Red, White, and Blue. And uh, he's talking about rescuing American history. Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. And uh, so, Bob, it's my delight to have you join us here on Viewpoint. What you did not know is that in 2005, uh, after many years of this broadcast and after having left the practice of law, after 20 years of law practice in California, the Lord spoke to my heart, 
saying, son, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough. I want you to plead my cause. And the land is a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation in America's greatest crisis hour here on the near edge of the second coming. So no sooner had we formed Save America Ministries in 1993 than the Lord said, okay, now I want you to sell everything you have, go to the birthplace of the nation, that place called Richmond, Virginia, where the cross of the covenant was first planted on these shores in 1607, and declare my good news back across the nation. Well, what we did not know at that time was how serious the divisions were going to be. But indeed, they were serious because in uh, 1992, Time Magazine and Newsweek Magazine all declared that the American dream was unraveling. Amazing. And you and I now are experiencing, you black, I'm white, and uh, today we're taking a look at what has happened in America. So what do you think has happened in America, Bob? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I want to issue a, a slight corrective. When you, in your opening, you said, why does black America define it? Not all black America defines America by slavery. I agree with that and uh, that tried not, to not make a little bit of a correction there, but I, I accept that correction. Most, most of them do not. Right. And in fact, uh, that is since the, the, the radical left was using uh, America's birth defect of slavery as a bludgeon against this country. And 1619 started by uh, and these series of essays that were published in the New York Times <clears throat> by Hannah Nicole Jones. Um, she was voicing the opinion of some radical elements within the black community. And, the, and since they were using the, the blacks as a messenger, that's why at the Woodson Center, we organized a group of 25 black scholars and, and journalists and activists to offer an alternative uh, perspective on this country. And, and so, so we, we were the ones who, who rose up and published these series of essays challenging the inaccuracy and uh, of, of Hannah Nicole Jones and that's 1619. Well, it postures that as a consequence of slavery, America is forever to be defined by slavery and capitalism is an extension of that and that all uh, whites are guilty of being uh, 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 racist and all blacks are victims. We reject that as most Americans do. And so our book, uh, red, white, and black, we've collected essays to challenge uh, the uh, the conclusions made in that and offer a more accurate uh, assessment of history, and also to say that blacks were never defined by slavery, and and, and that the country should, no, none of us should be defined by the worst that we were when we were young, and America should be defined uh, as, a, as a place of redemption. America is a nation of second chances. Yeah. I am so glad to hear you say that. And uh, in reality, that goes to the very fundamental Christian foundations of the country. Uh, The cross represents forgiveness. It represents uh, reconciliation. It represents restoration. But that view was rejected, rejected by many, uh, particularly, as you say, uh, these radical leftists uh, who... Uh, however you want to refer to them as race hustlers, uh, revisionists, they have their reasons. And I think the, one of the primary reasons, uh, Bob, 
is because they have rejected the most fundamental element, uh, foundation of the country, and that is the God-breathed foundation of the country. What say you? Absolutely. Bishop Sheen um, was was a prof- very prophetic 50 years ago. He predicted what would happen. He said, the moment you leave God out of the country, everything else is lost. Yeah, and that's where and, we are right now. And it's interesting, uh, a number of years ago, little Dove McGowan, who was uh, the daughter of the chief of the Mattapani tribe here in Virginia, uh, came on this program. And uh, she said, Chuck, I want you to know that even though the white man did, in fact, uh, do some very harmful things to us, I and my people are very grateful that we, that the white man did come here because it was through him that Jesus Christ came to save us and redeem us. We're grateful, not angry. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. I'm so glad, friend, that you have joined us here on Viewpoint today. As you know, we say daily, Viewpoint does determine destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints, and that's the reason why the viewpoints expressed by the uh, contramanding expressions of the 1619 Project as compared with the 1776 Project are so important to us. And our special guest today, uh, Robert Woodson, a.k.a. Bob Woodson, uh, as the editor of this wonderful book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers, is telling us that, uh, in, in effect, our history is not only being revised, it's actually being stolen and uh, perverted, being perverted and distorted for reasons perhaps we could argue about, we could discuss, but I believe that they have to do with the fundamental transformation of America, as Barack Obama declared five days before his inauguration when he said, we are five days away from the fundamental transformation of America. Nobody really knew what he meant, but he did, and the rest is history. Well, here we are. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, opening statements from this uh, tremendous book, and I want to share these with you because they set the stage for the rest of our conversation here today. These founding documents, that is, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, are now under suspicion, if not flat-out attack. Americans have forgotten how they are connected to the founding. This civic identity crisis... I think that's a great term, Bob, civic identity crisis, is most evident in current discussions and strife involving race. Americans have begun to believe that the continuance of slavery by the leading statesmen of that era demonstrates that our revolutionary fathers did not believe that all men were included when they wrote in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. As the greatest defender of the American founding, even Lincoln 
is included now among the targets of those who see racism at worst and hypocrisy at best in the most iconic political figures of 18th and 19th century America. Without question, the hullabaloo over the 1619 Project, curated by Nicole Hannah-Jones, the New York Times Magazine devoted its entire issue on August 18, 2019 to essays inspired by the notion that 1619 was the real founding of America because of the introduction of African slaves. Its lead essay by Ms. Hannah-Jones argued that racial slavery planted so early in the American continent infected the development of the eventual nation, society, and politics as to engender anti-black racism that runs in the very DNA of this country. Now, that's a very strong uh, statement, Bob, the DNA of this country. There's no question that slavery was part of the earlier days of our country, but why is it that they didn't look to 1620, for instance, in uh, uh, the Plymouth Colony, or 1630 with the Puritans. Why is it that that story gets left out of America's story, which many historians believe is the primary thread of America's history? Well, that's why we wrote 1776 uh, essays, because we attacked the fundamental uh, premise of 1619. What they're saying is that Many of the challenges facing large numbers of blacks today, out of wedlock, birth, crime and violence, unemployment, are directly attributable to the legacy of slavery and discrimination. This is an outright lie. All the facts prove it. All the statistics prove that that is an outright lie. Absolutely. And so what we did through our essays is offer an alternative narrative, not a point-by-point rebuttal. So we went back and talked about even after slavery if you look at the, the records of six major plantations and what was the state of the black family, 75% of all slave families had a man and a woman raising children. Isn't that interesting? And, 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 and that it continued for uh, 100 years um, in, 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 in 1930 to 1940 at, at a time when racism was enshrined in law. When the unemployment rate during the Depression among whites was 25%, 40% among blacks, blacks had the highest marriage rate of any group in the country. Today they have the highest divorce rate. Exactly. And so the question was, if racism, and, and also um, we had the highest marriage rate, and also elderly people could walk safely in those communities without fear of being assaulted by their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we also closed the education gap between 1920 and 1940 in the South from three years to six months because of the, uh, the, the establishment of 5,000 Rosenwald, Booker T. Washington schools. So this is clear evidence that, that, that ra- even racial discrimination um, there was never a, a determiner of black outcomes and success. In fact, the reality is that uh, with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, that seems to be the premier dividing line uh, over which the black community began to disintegrate in our country. Why? Exactly. Because up until 1965, the Judeo-Christian values of of faith, faith, family, and an attitude of self-determination 
was the dominant ethos in the black community. Right. When in 1929, in Chicago, for instance, where you have such disarray today, they, where there were 731 black-owned businesses. Blacks had 100 million in real estate assets. With an uh, out of wedlock birth is under twelve uh, percent. So when whites were at their worst, blacks were at their best. And so we, and through our essays, we demonstrate that racial discrimination and and the history of Jim Crow never was a defining issue. But in the '60s, all of that changed. That the the policies of the poverty program uh, also did more damage in, in, in uh, moving government in to replace fathers as welfare systems were opened up. They removed the stigma. And, and this was the Cloud and Piven, two scholars at the Columbia School of Social Work. They were the drivers. They said the, the purpose is to use the conditions of poor blacks to promote socialism in America by flooding the system with welfare work uh, uh, recipients. And they did. Millions of blacks signed up for the welfare system at a time when the unemployment rate was just 4%. Well, that's what exactly they, what uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson did. Uh, exactly. He was the political uh, instigator of that, and he did right. it with intent. He, 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 whether he, not, he did or not, the consequence was the same. And that is what Clown and Pippen predicted, that if you separate work from income, and if you denigrate the nuclear family as Eurocentric and therefore racist, the consequence will be increase in school dropout rates, increase in crime, increase in out-of-wedlock births. All of the negative pathologies that they predicted began to come true. But government was complicit because they opened poverty offices and actively recruited people into the welfare system and normalized it and removed the stigma and define welfare as reparation. While removing while removing the man and fathers from the home. Exactly. So what 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 a century of racial discrimination could not accomplish, liberal policies of the sixties did. And that's when you saw an increase in incarceration rate, you saw an increase in drug addiction, all of the negative pathologies that accompanied the poverty program. We spent $22 trillion over 50 years on programs to aid the poor where 70 cents of every dollar went to professional providers who they asked which problems are fundable, not which ones are solvable. Mm. So we created a commodity out of poor people, and that's why we're in this mess that we're in today. Sounds to me like it is a uh, perverse form of slavery reinstituted. Uh, and, and isn't it interesting that the same political party that was behind slavery and enforced slavery actually is the political party that re-enslaved uh, through the uh, 1964 Civil Rights Act and how they implemented the uh, war on poverty. Uh, it's an astounding picture that very few are willing to accept. Why is it that leaders within, so many leaders within the black community, even pastors, are unwilling to accept the truth in this regard? Well, because it, it, they have to explain 
part of the promise, I was, I'm a veteran of the civil rights movement. One of the promises of the civil rights movement was if you were to put blacks in charge of the government, that they would be more fair to their own people. Well, a lot of those ex-civil rights leaders who became elected Democratic officials in these cities, and they, that, that they began to implement these programs, and they began to profit from them. Mm. And that's what that's and, what and we've so, that's what we've seen in Chicago. That's what we've seen in Michigan, in Detroit. That's what we've seen in almost every large city in every America. Every city you see, and not all blacks are suffering equally. The biggest income gap is not between whites and blacks; it's between lower income blacks and upper income blacks. Mm. Isn't because that fascinating? Any time you generalize about a people and say, "Well, we're going to put in place." solutions to the problems of black. You cannot generalize about black any more you can about any other people. Not everybody is poor for the same reason. That's true. And and anytime you try to apply remedies to a group in the name of solving a problem, it always benefits those at the top. Well one thing we can say for sure one thing we can say for sure is that fatherlessness is at the root of uh, virtually every statistic, uh, negative statistic that is now defines America. Even the sociologists, secular sociologists, even liberals understand that. And uh, when when seventy percent of black children are born out of wedlock, and eighty five percent or so are living without a father in the home, you know you're going to have trouble. And uh, that's the reason why the prisons are filled with so many young black men. It has nothing, relatively little to do with racism, I think. That's true. And to make that point, there have been studies to talk about um, that, that what the left does. In the course of one year, there are 8,000 blacks who are killed by other blacks. Only 18 Blacks die like George Floyd did at the hands of unarmed black at the hands of a white police officer. Eighteen. But the left tries to make it appear as if this is a, a an epidemic so that evil has to wear a white face before we confront it. Isn't and this it fascinating? Is it, it's it's so, pure perversion. It's wickedness. Uh, to it promote this, it's just total wickedness, and I think God is not smiling upon this. And so I'm so grateful that you have taken the lead here in this uh, 1776 project, uh, you and uh, your brethren there that uh, are writing in this book, Red, White, and Black Friends. This is a wonderful book. You need to get a copy of it. It's a $28 hardbound book, yours for $24. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. By the way, uh, You probably do not know this, Robert, but many who have been listening to this program long know that I have said repeatedly over the past 26 years that the greatest hope for the future of America lies in the black community. I I, agree with you. I I agree with that. It's been said that what happens in black America happens in all America in the next generation, and uh, I believe that therein lies the hope, but it is going to require... 
uh, a major, major turnaround of heart and a rejection of uh, the secular wickedness that is coming to co-opt God's truth among the people. So friends, uh, I urge you to go to our website, saveus.org, that's saveus.org, and on the website are a whole group of fact sheets. One of those is called A Portrait of the Black Family. In 2005, I felt the Lord putting a mantle on my shoulders to plead the cause of black America as a white man, and that's what I did. And uh, we have updated that uh, fact sheet now for years. Uh, It contains what one black pastor told me is the most powerful tool that he has ever found to preach righteousness in the black church. And uh, I urge you to go to that, all of you. It's called A Portrait of the Black Family. And we'll be back with uh, Robert Woodson, Bob Woodson, right after this break. Stay tuned, friends. We've just begun. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. What a delight it is to join you here again, friends, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. Notice the issue heart and home. These issues are matters of the heart. They're not fundamentally issues of politics. They're issues of the heart. In fact, our politics are merely a a, a symptom of the condition of our hearts. So if our hearts are not right, our politics will not be right. If our hearts are wicked, our politics will be wicked and unrighteous. So our guest today, together with those who have joined him in writing this wonderful book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers, says that the 1776 perspective can be condensed into one sentence. The U.S. is a flawed but very good country, where it is simply not terribly hard to succeed, given hard work and personal responsibility. You know, it reminds me, uh, Bob, that if you are quibbling about your church, let's say that uh, you've got some... uh, some grudges or whatever it is, acts to grind with regard to your church. And you say, if only my church was this. Well, isn't it interesting that the moment you walked into that church, it became imperfect. (laughs) (laughs) So in reality, America, in some respect, could be likened to a great church. 
And the moment any one of us walks into it is the moment we're going to have some problems to deal with as compared with one another. And isn't it interesting that if you go to the Bible in the New Testament, you find that that's exactly the picture that's portrayed. The Apostle Paul talks about this, and uh, he says that, you know, in Jesus Christ, there's neither uh, bond nor free, uh, Gentile nor uh, uh, Jew. And he would also say today, I think, black or white or brown or green or chartreuse or whatever color your skin might happen to be. In Jesus Christ, we become one. Well, isn't that what the concept in America was intended to be? It, it really was. I would like to just read a quote from a Dr. King, who's one of my heroes. Okay. Uh, and he said, uh, as he was addressing the Centennial Emancipation Proclamation, he said in his opening paragraph, if our nation had done nothing more in its whole history than to create just two documents, its contribution to civilization would be imperishable. The first of these documents is the Declaration of Independence. The other is that which we are here to honor tonight, the Emancipation Proclamation. All tyrants, past, present, and future, are powerless to bury the truth in these declarations, no matter how extensive their legions, how vast their power, or how malignant their evil. All right. Now, I want to pick up on what you just said, because that's very powerful. The number one story in the history of Israel is the exodus from Egypt. The number one story, by analogy, in the history of black America is coming out of Egypt. Would you agree with that? I agree. Okay. So we had songs like, go down Moses, way down in Egypt's land, tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. All right. So why is it that black America, large portions of black America, are yearning to go back to Egypt just like Israel, the Jewish people, wanted to go back into Egypt to to get the leeks and onions and garment? They did not value the Emancipation Proclamation. Well, just as Moses, it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. And he could never do it. No, he couldn't. And that's why only only two people made it to the promised land. Absolutely. So what does that say about today? It, it says that <laughs> what we're trying to do is help people to live free. A lot of people don't understand that it's, it's, a, it's a responsibility to live free. Mm. But, but black Americans, and this is what we're pointing out essays, we have demonstrated throughout the, the, the decades that we know how to live free. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Chuck Swindell said it, and he said, I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to you. 90% is how I react to it. Well, that's we exactly right. Our, we are in charge of our attitude. It is more important than the past and education than circumstance, than failure, than success, than any other person, what they think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, skill, and it will make or break a church, a company, or a nation. No question about it. In 1993, you did not know this, but uh, the very first advisory board member for Save America Ministries was 
Dr. John Perkins. Dr. John Perkins, you may know his name. Uh, I know him. One of the foremost evangelical leaders in the country. He and I would have dinner together at least once a month and would share the most heartfelt communications together. Uh, he was in northwest Pasadena, having left uh, Mississippi, where he grew up. And uh, I was practicing law there in Pasadena and became part of the ministry he was doing in northwest Pasadena. Well, interestingly, uh, he relayed to me his story about when he was in Mississippi, he watched his own brother being slaughtered, then the police got a hold of him, took a bent fork and jammed it up his nose, and uh, was torturing him, and he had a choice to make. The choice that Dr. Perkins made was to forgive and not to respond in retribution. I wonder to what extent that then becomes the, shall we say, the Declaration of Freedom for uh, blacks in America today to become the moral and spiritual leaders in this wicked time. Well, it's very interesting you bring that up because part of the theme in our book is that we believe critical race theory should be replaced by radical grace theory. I love that. Say that again. That critical race theory must be replaced by radical grace theory. That is worth, our, that's worth preaching, brother. Listen to this. In, uh, uh, Robert Small was a man born in Sumter, South Carolina, a slave, and he found himself on a ship, a, a, a southern supply ship. And when his masters went into for dinner into town, he uh, commandeered the ship, and, and his uh, slave uh, crewmen picked up their families and he put on his master's coat and hat, and he maneuvered past five southern garrisons and turned the ship over to the Union Navy. He was rewarded. Congress gave him $1,500 cash, and he was celebrated throughout the North. And it, it, it made it encourage uh, President Lincoln to use blacks in fighting that war. After the war, he became a wealthy businessman, served in the Congress three terms went back and purchased a plantation on which he was a slave and took into his house the, the, the wife and children of the slave master because they had become destitute. And because she was delusional, he permitted her to sleep in her same bedroom. Wow. What a story. There, there is a story of radical grace in action. Yes. Dr. King did the same thing when... In Birmingham, when his house was firebombed and his wife escaped within five minutes with their child, and he was surrounded by 200 angry black men who were armed. And Dr. King, in the presence of that horrific situation, preached peace and, and, and nonviolence. So these, there are a lot of, that to me is radical grace. And in my book, Joseph of, 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 of Genesis is another example from the past of radical grace. Even though he was uh, enslaved, sold into slavery by his brothers, betrayed him, and he eventually saved not only the family that betrayed him, but the Egyptians who enslaved him. Wow. But if he has succumbed to bitterness and resentment, 
neither one of them would have been saved. And his story, but, his story would not have echoed down throughout history either it would not for have. redemption. Now, here's what, here's what Joseph said. He said this to the very ones who enslaved him and were selling him off into slavery. You meant it to me for evil, but God exactly. meant it to me for good and to save many. Could it be, uh, I, I'm going to suggest something here, uh, Robert, this is a white guy that's suggesting this, that uh, one black uh, pastor said, you got a lot of brother in you, Chuck. So <laughs> here, here's what I'm going to suggest, that black leaders in America take a whole new line. And I'm talking about pastors now in particular. You guys, you white fellows, maybe your answers may be meant it unto us for evil. But we are choosing now to look at it as if God meant it for good, that in this unique hour of American history on the near edge of the second coming, we can become God's redemptive agents and extend forgiveness and reconciliation. What say you? Well, that's exactly one of the purposes of, of the Woodson Center and our 1776 United. The purpose is to really deracialize race and, dis and desegregate poverty. It is important for us to remove race because it's preventing us from addressing the deeper challenges facing America. America is in a moral and spiritual freefall yep. that is consuming our young people. In the uh, inner city, blacks are being consumed by homicide. Uh, in the Appalachian, whites are being consumed by prescription drugs, and suicide among affluent families in Silicon Valley is six times the national average for its children. Unbelievable. So, so it means that in all segments of society, our children are growing up wandering like Cain without content of purpose in their life. Yeah. And if you don't value life, you don't mind taking your own or take someone else's. There you but go. But it is important for us as a nation to come together to talk about how do we fill this empty hole in the lives of our children. And we cannot do that as long as we are looking at each other through a racial prism. We'll so, be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Our guest today says that slavery is limited in its ability to determine the success of black Americans in our present day. 
The legacy of slavery is not what determines the fundamental character of our country, unless we choose for that to be so. I welcome you back to Viewpoint, friends. Today we're talking with Bob Woodson. Uh, he, as you can see, is a great spokesperson for righteousness, uh, God-fearing righteousness, in the context of uh, this very troubling hour in our nation's history where we are being deliberately divided. As Jesus said, a city divided against itself cannot stand, and a nation divided against itself cannot stand, and that's what, friends, the godless political leaders of our land and the world know. And that's why they must bring this nation to its needs by division. And they're using racism in order to accomplish that nefarious agenda. This wonderful book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers, should be a necessity for every American to read right now in this troubled time, and especially pastors. I'm going to make it available to you. It's a hardbound book, $28 hardbound book, yours for $24. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA. You can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, uh, Robert, uh, Bob, about eight years ago, uh, I was asked to go to Ghana, West Africa. The reason I was asked to go there was to speak at a, uh, the opening of the largest Christian uh, school in Accra, the nation's capital. And uh, in addition to that, I was asked to speak to uh, pastors for a, a seminar. I was the, the speaker for this seminar to prepare the pastors to minister to their people here on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The person that made this possible was my, the son, my son-in-law, the husband of my eldest daughter, who happens to be my producer. And uh, he was the son of the chief of the Accra tribe there in Ghana, West Africa. I have a considerable connection with uh, blacks in the world and in America because out of that union came four black grandchildren. And uh, so they are part of our family. In fact, they're so much a part of our family that they could not possibly be separated in attitude or in any other way from our family. We are one in Christ. We are one as Americans. We are one as a family. And God does not see it any other way, and neither should we. That enabled us to receive uh, this man who came to our daughter, our lily-white daughter, and he was so dark that when they came at midnight there in Pasadena, California, to introduce themselves as an engaged couple, we could not even see him in the shadows until he smiled. We had a decision to make that night. Were we going to embrace this man or not? 
And my wife and I, in engaging the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit over this issue, determined that we could not do other than what God had said. If he is truly a born-again Christian, seeking to follow the Lord with a whole heart, then who were we to look at his color? And that's history. This is a matter of, I think the Lord somehow created a situation in our own life, Bob, to set the stage to be able to plea these causes with a depth of commitment and spiritual, uh, having battled the spiritual warfare over these issues, to be able to plead this cause in righteousness and in truth in this desperate hour of American history. And that's why I'm so delighted to have you join us here uh, on Viewpoint today. Um, This issue of racism has been used as a sword and as a shield, hasn't it? It sure has. It's been a sword against anyone who challenged this notion and a shield to protect people from uh, from actions that are hostile to the truth. I but want to. I want to ask. Said, go ahead. What 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 I've been trying to say, people, is that in order to to help people understand the importance of the values of our founders, there are three things that we community. First of all, a witness is more persuasive than an advocate. What you just said is you witness to your beliefs. Mm-hmm. You didn't preach about them. You witnessed to them. Mm-hmm. And that a parable is more informative than an essay. <laughs> okay. So and our life then became point, a living parable. Right. And experience will always trump an argument. Mm. I tell people all of, and that's what I have a hard time with some of my conservative friends. They want to just complain about what the other side is doing mm-hmm. without supporting affirmative actions that, that embody your principles. So that 80% of my closest friends around the country that the Woodson serves are have letters in front of their names, not behind them. They're X something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's good. They have experienced brokenness in their life. Mm -hmm. And so when we get together, black, white, brown, red, when we get together for the last 40 years in all of our gatherings, racial division never came up because what we came to talk about is how God delivered us from our brokenness. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we talk about how he did it, when he did it. What has been the consequence of us overcoming the brokenness? How we were now able to witness to others that that brokenness, that redemption and and transformation is available to them. Mm-hmm. And and so that is what uh, 1776 is trying to demonstrate that we want to. And so I'm saying to people who want to, people are tired of hearing sermons. They want to see a sermon. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why in our 1776 Unites, we are laying the crown, but we are, we're not just 
uh, uh, writing essays, we brought together 2,500 black mothers who lost their children to urban violence. We took out a full-page ad for uh, uh, protecting and, and supporting the police. Good for 82%, you. 82% of black Americans polled support are against defunding the police. 60% of black polled do not believe racial discrimination is, their bar- is a barrier to their future. So the majority of black America do not uh, uh, abide and support this emphasis on 1619. They don't do it. They are, they, it is a minority elite that are doing this. So most of black America does not support attacks and assaults on this nation. You don't see black Lives Matter signs in low-income black neighborhoods. You see them all around lily white churches uh, down, up and down the street. They Isn't that interesting? In, they're not in the black community. Okay. I want to ask you a question. Uh, because I, having spoken in black churches from coast to coast, in fact, by the way, I am more welcome in black churches than in white churches. I spoke, uh, was reg- a regular uh, speaker in a, uh, a black church in uh, southeastern Los Angeles, even when I was practicing law. Uh, I have been an annual speaker in an inner city church here in, in Richmond because they understand my heart. My heart is in this with you, Bob. But what I am not seeing is the heart of the black pastor willing to be to courageously like Moses lead the people out of the spirit of Egypt toward the promised land they're too addicted to the love of the people for power perks and position than they are for redemption give me your take i agree but I would say that 80% of the, of, the, of the religious leaders that we support, many of them don't have churches. They have ministries. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that is very interesting. So uh, They, they, they yeah. have uh, uh, dormitories where legions of people who have been sleeping under bridges as drug addicts are now sleeping in beds and free of drugs, and mm-hmm. uh, they, they have gang members uh, staying in their homes and whatnot. So the people that I support who are religious leaders, uh, they are real, living in the same zip code as those experiencing the problem. So I, I guess I don't spend much time with the kind of preachers you're talking about. Well, do you have a message? Because uh, in reality, historically, the the pastor has been... Uh, demand in every uh, black home. In fact, he's been the the demand in every black uh, in 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 the uh, the black woman's home, because the man has been removed from the home. So, since they hold such a powerful position, some it seems to me that some voice is going to have to rise up in that area uh, to lead, uh, you know, lead the people out of Egypt. Well, I do, but the people that are being led out of Egypt in, 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 in neighborhoods that I grew up, they're not coming out of the church. Yeah. 
Yeah. They're, they're coming from the communities experiencing the problem. And I just think we need a, to, to redefine that. But I am very hopeful. I am optimistic um, that the sickest part of the body draws the strongest antibodies. Isn't as, that uh, interesting? Yeah, it does. The sickest part of the body draws the strongest antibodies. And, 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 and there are no vaccines for this problem, are there? No, sir. But, um, you know, I, so I'm, I'm optimistic because I have seen transformation and redemption in action. Uh, I've seen people delivered from, uh, from some of the worst brokenness in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just think that um, we, we must practice revolutionary patience. I remember when Mother Teresa was asked by Senator Packwood, aren't you frustrated that you're not more successful because there are 3 million people in Bombay who need you and you can only minister to 300. And she said something that stays with me, that God does not require success of me, just faithfulness. Mm. Because if I had pursued success, I would have gotten frustrated when I wasn't more successful earlier. Right. Well, I, I, I resemble that remark. <laughs> After 26 years on the air, pleading the cause of a lifetime to a jury of my peers, the American people, and particularly the church in America, I resemble that remark. And uh, God is calling us to a level of perseverance and patience. Uh, In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure that your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And uh, that's... The rock is Jesus. There's going to have to be redemption. It's going to require uh, forgiveness. It's going to require repentance and uh, reconciliation. And that's how it's going to happen, not by political power, but by spiritual uh, Spiritual power. That's what it is. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Bob, for joining us here on the program. Friends, the book Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. It's a $28 hardbound book. Yours for $24. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Go to the website, saveus.org. Get a copy of that fact sheet, a portrait of the black family. It's going to be very helpful to you. And would you consider becoming a partner with us as we're continuing to confront the deepest issues of America's heart and home to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour? God bless, be a blessing, and pray over this situation. God is watching over what we do. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.